You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. This is the Great Pets Radio Show with professional dog trainer Brian Kilcommons and Dr. Jim McKiernan of the Great Bay Animal Hospital. Call now with your pet questions. The Great Pets Radio Show. Now, here's Brian and Dr. Jim. Well, good morning. It is a good morning. I feel like we're in a typhoon here. That's because we are. That's because we are. Uh, good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Jim McKiernan with Brian Kilcommons for another edition of Great Pets Radio. And we, are, we have a great show today. Uh, we're going to be talking to the first New Englander to actually do the Iditarod, which is going on right now. Yeah, which is fascinating. He did this about uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, but he was the first New Englander to do the race, and... Uh, it uh, you know it's a thousand forty nine miles. So we're going to talk a little bit about the idea and all the elements that go into it. Not it, you know as far as feeding the dogs, caring for the dogs, what supplies you need. Yeah, it's a thousand forty nine miles or something. Yes, I mean it's kind of like you know you, you look at oh, people say oh, I love to camp, so they go away for two or three days camping. This isn't two or three days. This is in the wilds of Alaska for ten to fourteen days, and the battling those elements. And, uh, you know, in fact, the woman was just killed and they thought it was a pack of wolves up in Alaska. Yeah. She went running and they saw wolf sightings. And I guess she didn't realize she's in the forest or the wilds. And uh, supposedly the wolves took her down, which is highly unusual. So we'll be talking and we're open to your calls as well. So our number here this morning is 1-888-441-9876. And um, I think next week we're going to have... going to be talking about the microchip uh, yes. stuff that's going on now. Exactly. And that's yeah. long overdue for you and I because we have strong feelings about that. You know? Yeah, and also they're finally getting their act together where they're getting one database. You know, Europe, they just have one system. In right. the States, there's like five. And it's been really confusing for people and especially shelters. I mean, to get, they're finally having a universal reader. And these are the people that came out with one. There are a couple of others, but this way you only need one reader. You don't need five. And they're not expensive. I mean, when people inquire how much does it cost, they think it's hundreds of dollars. Well, first of all, some people think it's low jack, you know, <laughs> but it's not. It's a pet identification number. Listen, more people would get them if they could turn the dog off from running away. Oh, <laughs> look. <laughs> uh, anyways, our number again is one eight 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 four four one nine eight seven six. You heard about the new. Uh, Legislation they're trying to pass to ban, I think, nine different species of pythons as pets. Because they're having such problems in certain areas of the country. Well, you know, I mean, unlike last week's show, I mean, is there a problem with that one, you know? There is. Well, they're throughout the Everglades, and it's really impacting on wildlife. And also, I'm wondering, you know, I've known a lot of people over the years that have had snakes. I I just don't see the need for, you know, a 14-foot snake Mm -hmm. as a pet. Sitting under your porch, lurking. Yeah, it's not like, yeah, well, yeah, usually in a fish tank. <laughs> but, I mean, that's a lot of snake, and they're escape artists. And maybe we need to start looking at, confi- you know, restricting some type of species for ownership, um, which I, I know a lot of people don't want, and the pet trade doesn't want. But the impact it's having and the cost it's having are pretty considerable. Absolutely. You know, you talk about banning pets. I had a woman this week come in. She just moved from Denver. So, obviously, we had the conversation about the, you know, pit bull law of confiscating these dogs. Oh, that, 
and she, train wreck. And she was well aware of that and uh, showed a lot of dismay when we discussed it. And it's just a, it's not a good thing. So, anyway. Well, th this is going on in Florida uh, now. The genius legislators uh, decided to, uh, what they're passing, what they're trying to pass is allow every town and county to develop their own bans, which is a patchwork of legal uh, restrictions. But also with all the information that we have from Denver, from the other cities that have banned pit bulls, their basis is saying we need to make the community safer. Well, you know what? Dog bites haven't dropped. As far as because of the bans, they are equal. The good news is overall dog bites have dropped drastically. So when they start pumping us full of smoke here about it being an epidemic, it's not. They've dropped drastically. But the big mistake that they're making is putting these you know laws on the books to ban these breeds. You know, a lot of communities have cut animal control 30, 40 percent. They don't have the manpower to do this. Plus, people don't realize Miami is killing 800 dogs a year, and it's costing them almost $3 million. When you add up all the litigation, the confiscation costs, the actual act of killing these dogs, you know, this money can be spent in much better ways. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, that's, as, we, as you have said appropriately, it, it is a train wreck. Well, I'm writing uh, some opinion letters on it. Oh, the other my thing, God, I can't imagine. You can. <laughs> Here we go. Well, there's so much fear around this that the legislators build up. Right. And they've made this, uh, the pit bull, basically the demon dog. And it's just not true. I've handled hundreds, if not thousands, of these dogs. You know, there are some nice ones. There are some not nice ones. But, you know, you can say that about so, I mean, so many different people, about breeds of dogs, about, come on, let's, you know... I, I see, we had a number of them in this week as part of the shelter, and they were pit mixes. If we want to call them a pit mix, this is not even the right word to call them. And I got to tell you, they were beautiful. They were nice. And I just looked at them and I says, well, you, you're not moving to Denver. No, but, you know, <laughs> I, I think we need to start paying attention to these legislators and, and what they're doing with our money and the laws that they're passing. Anyway, give us a call, 1-888-441-9876. We're going to be talking about the Iditarod. And the man who, about 20 years ago, successfully did it, which is no easy feat. So give us a call, 1-888-441-9876. You're with Great Pets Live. We'll be back. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. When you're looking to add a pet into your life, consider adopting a homeless animal from your local shelter or rescue group. 
Whether you want a kitten, puppy, or a more mature pet, a purebred or a one-of-a-kind mixed breed, even a rabbit or hamster, your shelter has the best selection of animals anywhere, all screened for good health and behavior. PetLifeRadio.com presents Take Me Home with your host, Susan Daffron. Join us each week as we showcase wonderful pets, tell stories, and even throw some pet education into the mix. So get ready to find out why the pet adoption option can be a great way to add a furry companion into your life. Take me home every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. You're with Brian Cole Commons and Dr. Jim McKiernan from the Great Bay Animal Hospital. And we have Heidi and Bill Barlett, who uh, did an interesting thing about 30 years ago. I want to hear this conversation. So Bill comes in and he goes, honey, guess what? <laughs> we're going to go do the Iditarod. And you were the first one, first New Englander I was reading to do the Iditarod, right, Bill? That's correct. Uh, there was a seventh year running of the Iditarod. Presently, I think, up around 37. So in those days, it was more of a, um, not as competitive as, as it has grown to be now. Yeah. Uh, there might have been one person that was capable of winning the race back in those days. Today, you probably got the top 20 that could do it. Uh-huh. And there's people that make a business of it. All right, so I want to hear this discussion with, the, you know, the, okay, your, this, your this, wife going, guess what, honey, we're taking a year off and... Okay, I come home from work one day and this this trucking outfit I was working with uh, had an old truck sitting in the corner and I expressed an interest and I'd like to run the Iditarod someday. Now remember, this is seven years ago. The race is 1,150 miles. Almost no information printed about it in those days. The women hadn't started to win the race yet. So it was just a, a summer. Uh, this is off in Alaska. And it was just a vision in my mind. It's something I wanted to do. I'd spent three winters up in northern New Hampshire with uh, sled dogs and... Uh, Bill, I want to hear the conversation the with the wife. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here I come home. I come home. I said, Heidi, uh, 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 let's see. How did it go? I, uh, you, were sitting, you were sitting in the chair in the living room when I came home from school. Okay. Yeah. Heidi, Heidi taught school. And come home and I said, boy... I, uh, can we? Uh, do you want to go to Alaska? And of course, you know she's pretty adventurous. She said, "Sure." So I said, "Yeah." When are we going? Because <laughs> yeah. we'd already we already had dogs in the yard. We already used them recreationally. Uh, when I first met Bill, our very first trip um, was from uh, Newport up to Pittsburgh, New Hampshire, by dog team um, out <laughs> to a, a camp out about 15 miles off the main road, and so. Because we had just met, he um, he thought maybe I needed a snowmobile to ride on, and he would take the dog team. So what happened was the snowmobile quit in the middle of, of Back Lake in Pittsburgh, and he said, okay, forget that thing. And so uh, both of us rode the sled into camp. It was, an, it was about a 17-mile trip. But I'm, I'm the real, Heidi, Heidi loves animals, I'm the real real uh, pusher i guess or the, the my interest was in the or sled. musher or musher i guess you'd call <laughs> it yeah and 
Heidi is a great supporter. You know, she goes along with everything, even to this day. You know, if we want to go and take a trip, she doesn't care where we go, but she wants okay, to Okay, so you get this idea in your head. Um, we're going to go do the Iditarod. Right. All right. There isn't a lot of information from what you're saying. Uh, okay. So, succinctly, uh, what do you need to get together in order to, to make that happen? Okay. You're living in New Hampshire. You have to get to Alaska. You have, you know, do you have enough dogs? How many, you know, okay. supplies? What are you doing here? Well, we were offered the use of the truck, and that's what triggered everything. And in my mind, I thought at that time, well, we could put a pickup camper on the back, and, and we had like $7,000 of money of our own money that we could go put towards this. And so, yeah, I thought we could do it. And well, Bill's a big planner, so he thinks <laughs> a lot about things. So we had food. We had... Um, he's, he called other people, he got names of people where he could possibly get ideas and tips and advice. I've got a dog, a real good um, uh, sled builder over in uh, uh, near Laconia, Dick McDonald. He has since passed on, but I immediately went to him because I know he had all the connections in the dog circles. And I said, I need a sled and, and I need dogs. And, oh, yeah, there'll be no problem. Anyway, so we started. Wait, Bill, you needed a sled and the dogs. Oh, no, I already had this stuff, but we need. I needed a bigger sled in yeah. order to do this. And, you know, 1,150 miles seemed like a long, you know, you need a lot of equipment. Well, this, the, today, I mean, well, the race is going on today, obviously. It there, is. There's 16 dogs per team. How many dogs did you start with? When I started the race, it was 14. In those days, they let you start as many as you as you as you wanted some people started with over 20 dogs but they have found over time that 16 dogs is is a good number to start with because right. some people carry it too far so i had a i think probably a seven dog team at the time so i had to go out and scrounge up some dogs from people <laughs> within the circles and and put this whole thing together when we left home i think we had uh 20 dogs or so in the truck dogs. And out of and some of those dogs, I really didn't know as well as I should have. Cause hindsight, you wouldn't do it like this anymore. Not on a on an instant. In a year's what, time. What do you mean, Bill? You didn't know them as well as you should have. Well, if you're going to run a long race like this, you know, you just don't take a dog out out of the out of the pound and hitch him up and go do this. There's, I I took a dog with me that I knew wasn't going to pull, but they had this rule that you had to have five dogs to finish, and I knew the dog would never hold me back. But after you're on the trail for 24 hours and you've got to stop and booty up these dogs and now you're, you're starting to get tired and you start putting, uh, taking care of this dog that isn't helping you at all, it starts working on your brain. So that's a good example right there. Don't You would know the animal was going to get so you, you certain So you distance. really can't afford a dog that isn't producing? Absolutely not. Because that's and, and, not... And the dogs actually kind of bond with you if you work with them. So you need the time to work with the dogs. Not, not Bill. The Bill says, hop in the truck. Uh, well, <laughs> but this, this, we did a lot of work. We were all green sure about did. this yeah. whole thing. You know, I'd spent a lot of time behind the dog team. Like, I spent three different winters up in Pittsburgh running dogs, just recreational, going here and there and everywhere, 20, 30-mile trips a day just to do it because it's something I wanted to do. I ended some long-distance races out in Michigan. At that time, there were no long-distance races around. Round. That being, uh, went out there to a hundred and to end it. Uh, all right, Bill. I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah, I know. Well, you know, th there's one thing about doing races in Michigan. Now you're in Alaska. You're at the start line. Yeah. All right. What supplies do you need? What's your headset? I mean, 1,100 miles with you know what? 20 dogs. Uh, 
No, I started with 14, 14. dogs. With 14 by dogs. By then, by throughout the, we went up there in December and did all our training there. And by the time the race started, we had whittled it down to what we thought we had 14 dogs that could, that were suitable. And as time goes along, you have dogs with injuries, you have to drop them, you might have picked a dog that was too young, that you knew might only get you part way. And you knew you probably wouldn't have the full 14 when you got there anyway. And in my case, I ended up with five. But we also had um, to, the, to plan the food for the dogs and food drops. So we had everything arranged in uh, burlap sacks with the names of the different checkpoints. And then now you the, had they, they did not do that for you. The, the race the bush pilots would we'd have we brought it all into Anchorage, okay. and then it was distributed uh, by bush pilots flying out to the different checkpoints. Now, now so today that, they'll use a lot of regular commercial foods. Back then was you know uh, actually that was in that in those days nobody really knew too much about what they were doing. The guys that were doing better in the race would have all kinds of several supplies of, of chicken or beef or whatever at different checkpoints. We couldn't afford that. The good thing about it all, Abity Dog Food down in Poughkeepsie, New York, through another dog mushing friend of mine, put me on to him. And he formulated a food and he's and also during that time dogs tired dogs go off feed very easily and it's really hard to get them to eat again as you guys know and so what they do they offer them different things you know rather than chicken they might give them beef or whatever but it was just dry, kind of a random thing you know they didn't really know so. right dry dog food at that time was not capable of sustaining a dog a lot of them are using it now but there's been a lot of research going on in recent yeah, they're, years they're, they're talking eight to ten thousand calories per day uh, I'm, I'm up, up around 12,000 calories per day per dog during this race wow. and so we were blessed to have this food and this this uh, research person I guess you would call him that formulated food he said my dogs would not go off feed and they did not ever the whole trip it was the one thing that's probably I have to give credit to to how I got to know him I mean there were other things as well but all right we're talking with Bill and Heidi Bartlett who did the Iditarod and you know what was that experience like over 1100 miles with dogs you know in warm temperatures so if you have any questions give us a call at 1-888-441-9876 you're with great pets live dr jim mckinnon from the great bay animal hospital is still my co-host we'll be back <laughs> it's time for school for you and your friends your furry best friends Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to teacherspetsessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Salvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. TeachersPetSessions.com Stop what you're doing and start horsing around. Every week on Pet Life Radio. 
horse expert and award-winning rider Audrey Pavia will be trotting out great tips on feeding, breeding, and more on everything equestrian. So set a spell and say hey to Audrey and get ready for a darn tootin' gallopin' good time every week on Horsin' Around, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Great Pets Radio. This is Dr. Jim McKiernan. We are joined with uh, Heidi and Bill Bartlett, who did the Iditarod, and we are talking about their experiences. You know, one of the things that I think of, uh, the word sleep deprivation, uh, we had on a gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Stuart Nelson, who is the head vet um, for the Iditarod a few weeks ago. And this is a 24-hour thing, Bill. So once you start going, right? I mean, tell us about, I mean, will you, I know you have to stop eventually because the dogs, you, there are checkpoints and the dogs can slow down. But what about your mindset? Okay. And in, in the planning of all this, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to handle it. And the only thing I kind of referred to was like in the military, that you're on four hours, off four hours. They have discovered in recent, or since, almost since starting running the, the Iditarod, and different people have done it differently, but you need almost exactly the same amount of rest as you do running time. Nowadays, dog teams are going much faster. When I was in the Iditarod, I came in 21st and, and uh, over 16 days. The winner won it in 14 days. Today, the Red Lantern guy, that's the guy that comes in last, is probably around 12 days. A lot of it's due to technology and food. But back to the sleep. What it, so I went kind of on that schedule. I'd go four hours on, four hours off. But you've got to remember, when you stop for that four hours, you've got to re, refeed your dog team, water the dog team, take care of the dogs, uh, bed you, them down. Bill, are, are you alone at, at this point? Yeah. And, and So there's no one following you on a snowmobile or no, helicopters? No, no, you're all on your own. Once that race starts, all your feed and everything has been shipped out to different checkpoints, right. and, and it's up to you now to just form, put this all together. Being a rookie and not much information coming from the Iditarod in those early years, it was just a lot of guesswork. So today, yeah. in uh, 2010, can s there's got to be some radio communication. If Let's say someone has a heart attack along the road or you're in trouble. <laughs> can you radio into somebody to say, hey, I'm in trouble here? Uh, no, the, the, you can't radio, but there are other people in the race. I, okay. te I tended to run my, um, um, by myself because I didn't want to get influenced by somebody else's thinking. I'd already had this plan on how I was going to run my dogs. And a lot of times, if you get into a checkpoint or something and you start talking with somebody else, they'll say, oh, you ought to do this. This works good for me. It isn't the place to do that. You have to work on the things you've already established. And you'll never know if your idea worked or not if you don't follow through on it. If you get disrupted in the middle of the event, you'll never know how it worked well, out. Historically, how did this event start? Well, the Iditarod, as it means, distant place. And the Iditarod Trail initially was used during a gold mining time through central Alaska um, to move the gold and supplies into the different checkpoints as the, as the gold era was developing. So that's the early, late 18, 1800s, early 1900s. And the trail was used for mail, used for, by dog teams uh, to carry the mail and carry supplies in and out of these different checkpoints. Joe Reddington 
who they call him the father of the Iditarod back in the, the it would have been the late um, 70s or so, early, uh, no, late 60s, early 70s, he had this vision of, of running sled dogs back across the trail because the, the local uh, population being the Eskimos, Indian population, was losing the, the, the sled dog uh, world, I guess. So they, he come up with this race and sponsored it himself. And uh, the first day, I believe, uh, the first year, it took them uh, 21 days to, to get there because they didn't really have a trail. They are trying to feed uh, dog food, dry dog food. It wasn't up to speed like it is today. Uh, they had to hunt along the way for, uh, you know, food. And it, was, it was a real, real adventure. And when I entered it, it was, I entered it to, uh, to, for my own satisfaction to see if I could complete it or not. But I want to get back to the sleep thing. So at, you do this four hours on, four hours off for 20, 12, for the whole length of the race. There are some places in the race you have to take a 24-hour period right. and another eight-hour. They've, they've changed that around a little nowadays. But they, so when you stop to feed your dogs, you spend, out of that four hours, you're lucky to get one hour worth of sleep yourself. So you go eight, you go eight hours, you might get one hour, maybe. And uh, because you're tending the dogs, you're worrying about the weather, and to get to the checkpoint and all of so these. So are you tanking the caffeine bill at this point? I mean, no, I didn't drink any coffee that I can remember on that whole trip. Heidi uh, and some well, other... Glad you were alone. It's not as bad as you think, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Heidi, and because I'm out there doing what I like to do with the animals, one of the real big things is to, is to stay positive because... You guys are in the, in the animal world, and you know your dog or your cat knows exactly what you're thinking most of the time. And if you come home and you're down, that, that animal is probably down, too. And in order to keep yourself... Um, enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. It's really, really hard because you get disappointed. One of the checkpoints I left, I was uh, about 100 miles from the finish line. I took a wrong turn. I went... Uh, Let's see. I went my uh, hour and a half one direction. I thought I was heading right and had to turn around, and come back. So, and I was in uh, should have come in seventeenth easily. You know, there are, there, are, there are some out there who feel that, um, and I, and Brian and I are not one, and I'm sure you're not. That there's it's abusive to these dogs. That you know it's too much and it's too much work. You know, can you can you address that a little bit and talk about when you pull into a checkpoint? What do you see? Who's there? It's not like an Irving station. Man, today, when you pull into a checkpoint today, there's a swarm of veterinarians for every team. Uh, and th these animals are being treated probably better than most people are treating their family. Right. These are very competitive, and in most cases, people have tied up thousands and thousands of dollars to meet their passion. And these, these people are real, absolutely dog lovers. So I think a lot of the things that some of the people are talking about are unfounded. I don't think there's enough knowledge to know. These people are not informed enough to know really what's happening. Yes, they do have have issues once in a while. So, you know, a lot of people when they think of sled dogs think of Siberian Huskies and Malamutes. What are the type of dogs you're using? Basically, on the Iditarod, if you really want to be competitive, it's it's uh, there's uh, an Alaskan um, Husky, husky yeah. which is really a crossbreed of <laughs> some of the fastest dogs there are in, in the business. The, the traditional breeds, say, for instance, the Malamutes, you might, they're very, very strong, uh, but they, they just are not paced good enough to, they cannot go fast. They were made for freight. They're basically. made for freight, they're and they're very speed. good at it. Very, yeah. and they've got the, but they're very 
very uh, slow, or low-geared, we'll say. Siberian Huskies are very efficient, but they're, again, they're not quite as fast. So these breeders, these guys that are out there to win this $100,000 on the Iditarod, it's automatically going to encourage you to breed a better dog, a faster dog, a dog that will come into a checkpoint and uh, a minute later you take its heartbeat and it's right down to a west. So, so you're not looking for a Ford, uh, Ford 150 truck. You're looking for a Maserati as far as speed. Uh, yeah, and something that, yeah. yeah. And you got to have something with good feet, good attitude, the will to go. And some of these dogs are just such crazy dogs, you wouldn't ever think that they would ever do anything. But they they just so focused once they get into that team. Um, How do you go about training a team? How do you stop dog fights? Oh, well, dog fights generally aren't a big problem. Yeah, you do get into them every now and then, but certain breeds have more of a problem than I think, that. I think they're too tired to fight. Yeah. <laughs> no. A good no. dog is a tired dog. <laughs> <laughs> you get on, these guys are very, very focused dogs, and they do get into little little tangles every now and then, but it's usually if a dog maybe got a got a, 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 a rope or something, a, a tug line, t a half hitch around its leg, be slacking or something, and it put some pressure on it, so the, uh, the dog next to it might, might react. react to it. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things. Dog fights are not a big thing. Um, you uh, know, a lot of times if you have dogs that are used for competition, they tend to not be good home pets. Like if you have a dog that's you know field trial yep. dog, you know to ask it to sitting the sit in the living room and be comfortable with yep. everybody is difficult. What about your sled dogs? That, that's true with sled dogs too. All the sled dogs that I've ever known, with a very few exceptions, are, are tethered on a chain, and there again they're probably on an eight or ten foot chain. They've got a thirty foot circle to run into. Um, they get. Of course, these dogs are being exercised regularly. Today, these guys that are winning the Iditarod or even competing in them, getting two, 3,000 miles on them dog team before they ever hit the trail. So is that the, is that the competitive edge? I mean, why, you know, we, we were talking off air about the, the, the gentleman whose sons are yeah. winning it. What's their competitive edge? Why are they He's winning? got the ability to really understand what's going on in his dog team. He knows just how far he can push that dog team to the limits before he has to back off and let it rest and rejuvenate. Uh, this guy is so canny in understanding. So that. you give him the credit, not the dogs. The dogs, the dogs certainly have. Oh uh, no, that's interesting. But those dogs, I could take that dog team of his and probably wouldn't do anything at all. And this has been happened a lot of times. You you get some of these, Steve uh, Fawcett, the guy that flew around the world in balloons and stuff. He was a. Uh, I was a judge on the Iditarod 1980, and he was a competitor. But what he did, he had a lot of money, and he was able to hire one of the best dog teams there was in the business at the time. But he dropped out of the race in uh, the third of the way in because he was having all kinds of trouble. He hadn't made that connection, that bonding that's really necessary to be competitive. And it takes a long time to get this, to do this. And Can, so, can you explain that connection? I can't, no. Uh, it's just... Um, <laughs> you could uh, just like I said, you 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 can hire somebody to the best there is to take care of the dogs, train the dogs. That guy could probably win the race with those dogs, but unless you. But part of this is your head and your heart. That's not a, just your head. That's a lot of it. Okay. Yeah, that's really that's a great. I mean, it's almost like the team wanting to win it for the coach in a way too. You know, I like it, Bill. It's. You're with great pets. We're going to break. Short one. We'll be back. Give us a call at 1-888-441-9876. How many pets is too many? 
Do you know somebody whose life is overwhelmed by their animals? Maybe we can help. We're looking for people to be in a new TV series about really large animal families. We can offer expert help, free resources, and the chance to tell their story. If you or someone you know owns a house full of animals, call us toll-free at 1-877-MY-8-PETS. That's 1-877-MY-8-PETS. New York, the glitz, the glamour, the exciting Muttropolis, the sparkling kitty city that never sleeps. Join us each week for Pets in the City with your host, Diane West. Celebrity pet sightings, hot events, and news and reviews with the hottest movers, shakers, and tail waggers in New York. So take a bite out of the Big Apple with Pets in the City every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. You're with Great Pets. We're talking to Heidi and Bill Bartlett, who uh, ran the Iditarod about 30 years ago. And you're saying a lot of things have changed with that. I think that there have been some protests on TV about it being cruel to dogs and all this other stuff. But you're saying that the standards they have now between the vets at checkpoints and there are certain rules. You're a judge for some of these races. And I just said, okay, what does a judge do for these races? Uh, of course, a judge, uh, these different rules that are pertain, there's a certain amount of gear you have to carry on a dog sled, safety gear, survival gear, snowshoes, etc., on these long-distant races. Because if you get out there, you've got to be able to take care of your your dog team particularly. It's most all of the, these things you're carrying on a sled are directed towards the care of the dog. They don't really care so much about the musher, but um, the dog food... That you, <laughs> well, it's a human being. You right, know, so. right, and they made that decision, so they're responsible for their own decisions, but the Correct. dogs are really included in that decision making definitely so and there's if you for instance if you get into if you're into a race and you drop a dog um you're not allowed to add more dogs to that team if you start out with 16 dogs and you you drop a dog you cannot pick up another dog somewhere what, what does drop a dog mean that means uh taken out of the race if for instance a dog had a sore foot or something or was sick or or was tired. And, oh, so, and so that's now out of your team. You can't add another dog. That's correct. So they need a way of identifying these dogs. And because of that, you fellows were talking earlier about putting chips into dogs. And this was a lot of that research was actually started in the sled dog world so that they could be sure that the dogs that were in a team when it started the race were the same dogs that belonged to that guy at the end of the race. Because there's a rules that you cannot <laughs> add dogs do, from do, either do team. Do they have Lojack? for dogs basically as far as they can follow the dogs by GPS by those chips uh, or is it just identification uh, of the dogs? Well they not not by the chips that you're inserting in them but on the Iditarod today if you go to the uh, Iditarod Insider which is a detailed uh, description of what's going on in the race they they have a device on everybody's sled and it's updated every 15 minutes you can actually tell where the competition is throughout anybody throughout the so world. It's like a black box kind of i guess uh, yeah. i don't know i've never seen it so i'm not quite sure how it works when i was in the race everything was done by ham radio 
That was only 30 years ago. We didn't have the communications we got now. There was people right in Newport that knew more, more about where I was in the race than I did because of the ham radio operators could relay that message. I didn't really know what was going so on around what, me. Besides, you know, the terrain and the length of this race, what were some of the challenges that you met between wild animals, the cold? Wild animals were not an issue. Um, um, the cold... Did you see wild animals? Is there moose no. up there, bear? Mo moose are a real problem. A lot of times, part of the trailer was over 100 inches of snow on the ground. And these moose, the, the Iditarod puts a trail in with a snowmobile. So you've got a packed surface, more or less. Uh, they guarantee your trail. They don't say you're going to have a foot of snow on it. But there is a, a trail, and it's marked. And the moose get on these trails, and they don't want to get off. Why would they want to waddle around in snow up to their belly? So this has been problems in the years past. Some of the mushers have had to, had to actually shoot moose because the moose gets into a dog team, and the moose thinks that this is a pack of wolves. So their defense is to just start kicking their feet. And there's been mushers that have had to climb trees to get out of this. So uh, with the dog team... Whoop, now I lost my train of thought. Well, we're also talking hardships. You had how many oh. miles of no, the trail had no snow. Uh, the hardship of the whole race was getting ready for it. Mm. Once the race started, it's just, uh, that was a piece of cake. Yeah, it was cold. There was one place that I, I experienced wind chill factors down to 85 below zero. I had to go directly north into it across. Uh, 85 below zero? Yeah. Wind chill With factor. Wind chill factor. 35 mile an hour wind coming and you had wow. to run directly into it and I was untrained for that it was one of the things that I feared the most because I'm not used to this open tundraish country that you get once you get over to Unicleet and going up around the coast into Nome and so we had to go across this bay that was 65 miles wrong and uh, and uh, I had to go over these these uh oh they kind of like frozen waves i mean it was just up and over and up and over and my dog team did not want to do that they kept turning out of it turning out of it i took every dog i had put them up in the front never once did i ever want to quit the race and didn't cross my mind and some of that is goes back to the newport to alaska committee some friends that got together to help us go do this race in the uh, a year early how do you deal with 85 below with wind chill, okay. understood, but still, I uh, mean... You just cover yourself up. I come out of it pretty good. I only had a few, just, uh, my, I was totally covered. You know, you've got these big big uh, winter coats on with a, a snorkel on them that, that kind of blocks the wind. That's what the, the local people, the Eskimo-type people use and those kinds of things. And it, it works pretty well. You don't take your mittens off or your, your gloves off and do things because your skin will probably tighten up within probably 30 seconds or so. Can you see, though, Bill? I mean, it's nighttime, Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. I Actually, I did this during the daytime. I could have gone across there at night, and I probably should have. I was at the checkpoint going out of there. I should have left out of there at 3 o'clock, but I decided I was going to wait until daylight to go out of that particular checkpoint because if I was going to freeze to death out there, I wanted to see myself doing it. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to be indelicate, but there are certain bodily functions one m must maintain. How do you do that at 85 below? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just wait. Well, I, I don't know that that's a, probably your body is being sucked out of so much moisture. I don't ever remember that that was an issue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, you talk about um, one of the things we talked about on checkpoints with Dr. Nelson was the veterinarians doing their evaluations and their examinations. 
And one of the things that I w- was under the impression of is that, you know, maybe they would call the dogs. You know, they would pull one out to say, you know what, this dog is, 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 is lame or it's, you know, it's weak or it's not, it's not fit to go. But he said just the opposite where the, 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 the slow dog becomes the weak link. So you kind of know, don't you, which dog is slowing your whole sled team down. Exactly. That, that goes back to the musher being able to evaluate his dog. It isn't always because he's sick. It could be because he's slow. And as you get farther into the race, you start seeing these guys dropping more dogs. They may have carried extra dogs over over periods of trail that it, because it was really super hard pulling conditions. Yeah. But once you get onto the coast, it's usually a, a, a much faster condition. You start seeing these guys dropping off dogs. When, when you say dropping off dogs, this isn't just, okay, this the guy is slow, I'm unhooking him, and he's on his own. <laughs> Definitely not. They're, 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 they are left at the checkpoint. There are, there are people that take care of these dogs, and all these dogs are flown back either into Anchorage or into Nome, and there there will be people on each end that will take care of these animals until uh, m- the musher can get back to them or their handlers can pick the dogs up. Yeah. This sounds like the Olympics of dogdom. I'd I mean, as far as he, how much time do you spend training these dogs and keeping them in condition? You could do as much as you want. Most of these guys now that are winning a race are doing it year-round. They're doing all kinds of things with them today, too. This Jeff King, who has won the Iditarod, I think he's this four times. He's uh, in second. But he, he has put them into a, a high-altitude chamber. You know, like if you climb, you go out right. west, come the, back the here. The air thins. Got, yeah. And he's he's been doing something along that line because he would come into a checkpoint and the, the, the vets were asking him, well, did you just stop outside of town? He said, no, he'd been 11 and a half hours. The heart rate was that of a rested dog. And he alludes that that might be because wow. of the change. You're with Great Pets Live. We're going to go to a short break and we'll be back. Got questions about your hound's health? Need the facts on Fido's fitness or food? You want to unleash your pup's potential? Well, you've come to the right place with Win With Dogs. Here, we learn how easy it is to naturally improve the lives of our furry friends. So sit, stay, and get ready to win with dogs. With me, Raquel Wynn. Exercise, nutrition, interaction, and love make for one healthy, happy hound. Give yourself the gift of knowledge on demand every week right here at Pet Life Radio with me, Raquel Wynn, and Win with Dogs. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back. You're with Franco Commons and Dr. Jim McKiernan. We're talking to Heidi and Bill Bartlett, who ran the Iditarod a while ago. So you guys don't have dogs now. We got pets. You have pets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll never be without a dog. Okay. But what kind? Uh, a Heinz 57. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mixed breed. <laughs> yeah. The All-American. Yeah, something yeah. Bill could probably muster up a little enthusiasm to pull. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they would, yeah. yeah. So, Dr. Jim, you're talking about Owen, your son, yeah. who has a program in school that's following this? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's a project the whole classroom has uh, dived into, and where each of the kids, are, first of all, they learned about the race, and each kid now is following one of the mushers. I believe there's 71 teams this year. That started the race. I think there's around 10 or so that have dropped out for various reasons. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's kind of cool. 
So, and if you go to Iditarod.com, you can get information on the Iditarod. Correct. And also, if you're interested in getting involved with this, how much money does it take, and what's the commitment here? Well, the year we went up there was, um, um, we had $7,000 of our own thought we could do it easily. Newport to Alaska Committee raised some other money, plus a lot of clothing and, and a lot of support in other ways. And uh, uh, out of my, my trophy uh, for the coming in 21st was a belt buckle and i said it's my twenty thousand dollar belt buckle so you're, you're looking at a lot of money to just to run this it, race it's 80 to 100 thousand mm -hmm. well probably be competitive yeah. 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 yeah yeah you know if you live up there you could probably do it for maybe 20 or 25 i don't know now but it's been a long time it's been 30 years yeah but i'm just did. thinking a string of dogs you know, you figure oh. 20 dogs, their food, their veterinary care, plus the amount oh, yeah. of time it takes yeah. and the equipment that you need. Yeah, you know. it's a passion. It's a passion without any question. And a lot of times, a lot of divorces in the dog sled circles because you don't have two partners that are willing to lose so much money, I guess. I <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Heidi, you were really supportive with this. Yes, I helped Bill quite a bit. We did a lot of training around home in order to get ready. So Bill um, had to go off to work, and I would take the dogs, uh, put them away, whatever. We used a um, little uh, car chassis as uh, a training sled, and we would run the uh, old railroad beds for training for the dogs. We'd do that together. That's pretty cool. It was. So tell me what it was like when you finished, you went over the finish line. You know, I did that at probably about 1 o'clock in the morning, and I was so happy to be there, and I was so sad to be there. I had so many mixed feelings going through me because I, it was the end of, a, of a, probably the greatest adventure of our lives, all tucked into a period of a year and a dream that had literally come true, and uh, I just had a lot of mixed feelings about it all. But it sounds like this is really a labor of love and a lot of work. Absolutely, yeah. But what isn't? That's true if it means you know something. You, Bill, you just got that attitude. Like, I think you could do this thing again if we really pressed you to do it. <laughs> well, I just can't thank you enough for sharing your story with us. It's a, it's a heartfelt story, especially having you, Heidi, join him today, which was wonderful. Um, it's great. Thank you. Yeah. So, congratulations. This is quite an adventure and a great story. And thank you. Yeah. My pleasure. So, we'll be back next week live. We'll be talking about microchips. You know, I thought about the idea of it, but after having that, listening to Bill, I think I'm pretty good watching it on TV and checking it on the, uh, the Internet. <laughs> no new hobbies, huh, Dr. McCune? No new hobbies. We're going to be talking about microchips next week. We're going to have the largest company, well, one of the largest companies, Home Again on, talking about uh, you know their plans, their plans for the future. And certain benefits of... That's right. Belonging to a company that does microchipping. So thanks for listening, everybody. This is Dr. Jim McKiernan. I'm Brian Commons. Have a great week. Stay dry and safe. Take care. You've been listening to the Great Pets Radio Show. Join Brian and Dr. Jim next Sunday for more informative pet talk. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.